Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and it's my privilege to talk about Jesus and the hope and the peace we have in Him. Uh, please enjoy the following message, and if you like, uh, support the mission of God here in this area by going to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was doing my uh, run there in the morning, and uh, I often like to run toward Lincoln Park and run around Lincoln Park and I like to go into the zoo, especially uh, wintertime. Nobody's there, you know, it's pretty empty. And uh, so you run through there, and it was a cold day. All the animals, most of the animals are put away. It's just a beautiful, beautiful cold day there. And I uh, start going toward the polar, polar bears. I'm assuming they're out and around. And as I'm running by, enjoying myself and just uh, enjoying the day, this crazy loud noise totally freaked me out. Anybody know what it was? A lion. Lions are out in the wintertime, at least in Chicago. I don't know if that's normal, but... And the roar, I don't think I've ever heard a lion roar truly up close. Not on TV, but there. It's insane how loud that is, especially when you have no clue it's happening. I didn't even think about them being there. And I, I went right by the lion uh, area. And it was nuts. I mean, I must have jumped at least eight feet because I, I can jump that high. But it was crazy scary. I've never, I mean, I shouldn't, I've been scared before, I suppose. But it just freaked me out to the core of my being, this lion. I mean, I've, up in Cadillac, we got bears, right? So we're looking out for bears. That definitely is scary. I've ran from crazy, rabid dogs. Uh, by the way, if your dog chases after me while I'm running, things won't go well. One other topic uh, for the dog. But uh, I was so frightened. And, you know, when you think of fear, that kind of fear, anybody else had a fear like that? And I'm sure you might have had worse things than that. I mean, we have a lot of fears, don't we? Fears of a phone call from the doctor. Fears of whether or not my job's going to be there tomorrow. You know what I mean? There's fear in the world. We have things that we are afraid of as people. But we're often told and given this ridiculous advice about fear. Roosevelt says, the only thing to fear is... That's not true in any way. Like, <laughs> I was afraid of that lion. <laughs> I was not afraid of my fear. What, what is that? The lion's going to eat me. I'm afraid of that. I don't think that's crazy, right? And another one we like to say nowadays is, uh, <laughs> we fear what we don't understand. That's also, I, it makes sense in some areas. I get that. But it's not a universal axiom. No, I feared the lion because I much understood it would eat me alive. That was a smart fear, right? It's not because I didn't understand it. You know what I mean? What does, that, what does that even mean? Think about this. And we say this all the time, and I think it's because Americans, we, we hate suffering, so we'll do anything to avoid suffering, even killing things. Second, we think fear in of itself in every way is bad. No one should ever be afraid. Fear saves lives. 
Having a proper fear of something helps you make good decisions in life to avoid that thing that may even kill you, right? Fear is not necessarily bad. Especially when it comes to God and fearing God. Today we see Isaiah kind of a similar situation. Instead of running, he is walking into the temple and he is shocked. Now a little backup. He backs us up a little bit. Chapter 6, verse 1. He gives us a time, right? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, couple things that's mentioned because that's how you kept time back then in the so-and-so year of so-and-so's reign that tells people oh it was that time they can that's how you relate because time is in a sense temporal right we connect it to a physical object you know the sun and the earth going around they were connected to the reign of a king usually when they wanted to tell you a year Uh, and that's where we get by the way and i love this and i think you should use it more Today is, uh, what is it, February 10th in the year of our Lord, 2018. That's powerful because we're measuring time by who reigns. And who reigns? Christ. That's where that comes from. Isn't that cool? So Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, he knows that you'll get it. Or the, the immediate readers. But also I think he's putting this down to give context about a king and the true king. You see, when a king died back then, it was a big deal. Things become unstable, right? Who's going to reign? Who's going to take over? And usually that would mean violence as they chose the successor. Maybe it's a son, maybe it's not, but there's instability. The economy would not do well. People would generally be nervous because they knew that the change of uh, leadership would cause some sort of instability. And so the fact that a king dies, that's a big deal. It causes a little bit of fear. And so the writer says, Isaiah says, The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. So he walks into the temple. He walks into St. James expecting normal temple stuff. And instead, he's met by a lion. The king. The true king. God. High and lofty. On a throne. Not meek and mild like we know Jesus. But the fullness of who God is. Righteous, perfect, Immortal, divine, and the hem of his robe filled the temple because that's what God does. He fills things completely. And there were seraphim in attendance above him, and they were uh, going up and down, and they were singing, and each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces because they're before the holy God. With two, they uh, covered their feet because feet are ugly. It's a, sense of, it's a sense of honor to the one that they're standing before. And with two, they flew and they called back to one another. First of all, do these sound like cute little precious moments, angels? No, these are freaky. If you ever do, I'm sorry, like an angels are freaky. They're scary. That's why angels always, when they appear, they always say, don't be afraid. Why? Because people are afraid when they're looking at them, right? And they're singing this beautiful hymn that we sing before we take communion. 
Because communion is the presence of God, by the way. And they're singing back and forth, holy, 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 the Holy Trinity. Holy is the Lord of Sabaoth, of hosts. It means armies, mighty God. The whole earth. You talk about the temple filled with God. The whole earth is filled of his glory. And the whole place shook with this song. As their voices sang and called out to one another. And the house was filled with smoke, incense. And Isaiah's response is, oh, cool, God's here. No. Woe is me. I mean, immediately, just like when I was surprised by that lion, woe is me, I'm dead for a second. Even though I realized, yes, it's behind a cage. Isaiah comes in and he's in the presence of God and his first instinct is, woe is me. This is not good because he respects and fears who God is. And in the presence of God, that is the sound that will come out of your lips. Woe is me. You are before righteousness, perfection, a purity, a divinity. And in light of that, the only experience you will have is how you are not those things. It reveals, it draws it out. And in the reflection of the marble floor, Isaiah saw himself not dressed for this occasion. Physically, literally, spiritually, (laughs) you can't stand before God. I mean, he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I love how he says that. Jesus points it out in Matthew chapter 5. We think of the worst sins as being killing and stuff like that. I don't know. The worst sins might be what you do with your mouth, what you say to break and hurt people. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's symbolic, though. I'm a sinner. And then he says, not only that, I hang out with unclean lip people, man. I'm surrounded by it. I got nothing going for me. I am a sinner, and I hang out with sinners. And he says, and I'm looking at God. That's the response when you see God. Whether you like it or not, that actually is your response. It doesn't matter what you think your response will be. That is your response. Not on purpose. He's not articulating this. He didn't didn't have a speech ready for God. It draws out of a person when you are in the presence of holiness. Those are weird things for us, I think. Americans. We have a right to stand before God. We love our rights. We think that we don't do anything wrong. We're not that bad, right? I mean, if God was here, I wouldn't. He'd probably like me. That's how we think we really do, don't we? I think that's definitely how the American culture, the Western Europe, is, is Western world sounds like, right? God loves you no matter what. Who cares? He doesn't care. It's all good. No big deal. We're all friends. And, and because we hate to be, ever think that we're wrong, God forbid, we're not wrong. We're never wrong, right? That's like a, that's a, that is an evil thing to say today in America to tell someone they're wrong in anything, even math. <laughs> Right? You're not, we're never wrong. Because you don't want to hurt anybody's self-esteem. You don't, want to, you don't want to break their heart, their little heart. Give them a trophy, right? I think that's how we all think. And we're not talking about those people out there. We are like that too. Conservative Christians, whatever you want to call yourself. 
We're good. We're not that bad. We're not as bad as that guy. Isaiah wasn't a bad guy, probably, as you would see a public figure being bad. But he recognized right away deep inside, he's bad. He hurts people. We do too. We should say the same thing. If you are in the presence of God, I promise you, you will say the same thing. Woe is me. Because immediately your whole life will go before you and you will remember all those things you've done and how you spoke to your kid before you came here to church. And how you talked about that guy and all his troubles just to be entertaining at work. And how you muttered under your breath, you wish so-and-so was dead. And how we're greedy and only think about ourselves. All those things in the presence of God will come to mind. And you will say, woe is me. And that's okay. It's okay. It's not, it's not like Isaiah didn't understand God and that's why he was afraid. Oh, if you understood God, you wouldn't be afraid of him. He was afraid because he understood exactly who God was. He was afraid of God. And that's not a bad experience. I encourage you every morning to have that sense of woe is me. Reflect upon yourself. You stand before God. It's okay to do that. And this is why. Look what Isaiah does. So he's totally thinking he's dead meat. And then one of the seraphs, these freaky things, flew to him holding what? A live hot coal. And again, we make everything all cute and nice. There's no way that Isaiah, seeing this coming at him, is thinking that, oh, it's going to be okay. What he's got to be thinking is, there it goes, I'm dead. And so the coal comes to him, and it touches his lips. You know what? I love the fact that it's a hot burning coal, because that's what it takes. That's how bad off Isaiah is. That's how bad off we are. That the cure is a hot burning coal. And with tongs, the angel can't even touch it, which is actually interesting. Just thought of this. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to... Angels don't live by grace. Angels don't touch what we get to touch. Grace and forgiveness. So with the tongue, the angel brings it over to Isaiah, touches Isaiah's lips. And with that touch, the angel says, now that has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Period. Isaiah is not accepted. Isaiah is not told, it's okay, Isaiah, you're not that bad. No. Isaiah receives something far more powerful, far more meaningful, far more therapeutic, far more healing, and that is, you are forgiven, forgotten. It's gone. You can stand before God, not because you're okay and he likes you, because he loves you and he forgives you. You can stand before God not because he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you. And this is a great love, despite who you are. That is a love that you don't have the ability to have. And Isaiah is cleaned. And then I love after this, after this beautiful grace moment happens for Isaiah, he meets God and he's forgiven and he sees the heart of God, that God would love him. And then God says this, 
the, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? Which is fascinating, plural, reminds you, brings you to the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Isaiah could never go to the people of Israel to tell them to repent and receive forgiveness. He needed to receive it himself, right? And after he experienced God's love and his mercy for himself, now he's able to say, send me, I will go. First of all, man, if I can stand before God and no longer have to be afraid because I know that he forgives, I can go to those ding-dongs and I can tell them to repent and give forgiveness because I've experienced it myself. Brothers and sisters of Christ, this beautiful image of forgiveness, of fearing God, and then being told, do not be afraid, is ours. This coal that almost fell upon Isaiah, fell upon Jesus. I mean, God loves Isaiah and loves you and me so much. He didn't send an angel with tongs with a coal, but he sent his only son. Not to condemn the world, Jesus says, Matthew, or John chapter 3, but to save it. To forgive it. That's a powerful thing. Jesus came and had the coal dumped on him. Isaiah's punishment, your punishment, mine, put upon him. And then he sends angels, that is you and that is me, the church, into people's lives who are afraid of God, who are afraid of death, who are afraid of what they've done. No matter how much they pretend, like, they're okay, it's all right, I'm not really a sinner. People don't get to sleep at night because they know who they are. And we get to go and tell them not, oh, God loves you just like you are. It's okay, you've never done anything wrong in your life. No, you're sinners. We're messed up. But we get to hear we're forgiven. That Jesus took the cross and he took our punishment. That is amazing. That changes a person's life. That makes you see God in peace. And we get to hear, we don't have it today, although one day we will have it regularly. Instead of coals coming to you, but I get to bring to you what? The body and blood of Christ himself. You think coals will heal someone and a coal will, is coal here by the way? (laughs) There's coal, there's coal right here. You think coals will heal something? Imagine the body and blood of Jesus himself and not with tongs with our hands giving it to you, right? And you come up here afraid, indeed, realizing who you are as a sinner. And I get to tell you, take and eat, take and drink the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the beauty of communion. That's the beauty of church is to have this Isaiah experience every Sunday where you are afraid of God and you should be. And afraid of those sins. But we can speak them. We can be honest about our fears. We don't need to make up some psychological junk to not be afraid. We can say it. I'm afraid. I should be afraid. I'm a sinner. We can talk like that. Because we're standing before God who forgives, wipes out, and takes our guilt away and shame away. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you are forgiven. And as our Lord sent Isaiah, he's sending you into the lives of people who need to hear those words too. So go out there and share that peace to people who are afraid. And tell them, like Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.